Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. I'm guessing, friends, that in recent weeks, you probably read, somewhere in some form, you probably read the same obituary for Robbie Coltrane that I did. Remember Robbie Coltrane, born near Glasgow, 1950? He died in October, age 72. And some of you in this room, you will know Robbie Coltrane best from the police drama Cracker. That's how you remember him. But what was Robbie Coltrane's most beloved role? How do most people remember it? It's Hagrid, isn't it, in the Harry Potter films? The half-giant gamekeeper. J.K. Rowling said about this character that it had to be someone who is very lovable, but they must have a center of menace as well. And Robbie Coltrane said, I am perfect for that role. I am six foot one, he said, in every direction. North, south, east, and west, unfortunately. But here's what Robbie Coltrane said about starring in the Harry Potter films. He said this, The legacy of these movies is that my children's generation will show these films to their children. You could be watching this in 50 years' time. I will not be here, sadly, but Hagrid will. I will not be here. But Hagrid will. I will be gone, but something about me will live on. Death, obituaries, they are all about the end, aren't they? Things don't last. Nothing is permanent. Can anything endure? Can anything about us endure beyond us in this world? They'll still be watching me in 50 years' time. Really? I mean, we want to be polite to Robbie Coltrane. He's a big man, don't we? But really? Who would have been brave enough to tell Hagrid, I'm afraid, sorry, sir, in 50 years' time we'll already be on the fourth remake of the films. Things do not last. Isn't it true that that's what makes Christmas so hard for many of us? The best that we have left today is nostalgia for yesteryear. The years when our spouse was still with us, when our children were still under our feet. Christmas is a season of lights and tinsel and festivity and soon it will pass and again we will be on our own. So friends, I want to lift your hearts this morning by leading us together to the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. I want to say to you with all my heart, because of what we have just read together, I want to say to you there is such a thing as permanence. There is such a thing as permanence. And it is all because of promise. Remember that key word from last week, the children in Sunday school, us in church, promise. 
promise. I wonder if any of you remember Ron and Joyce Bond from Milton Keynes in England. I told you about them in January this year. Ron and Joyce Bond are Britain's longest married couple. Do you remember them? In January this year, they were celebrating 81 years of married life together. 81 years. They were 102 and 100 years old, respectively. Do you remember? Well, the the amazing thing about the story, the thing that made me smile the most as I read their story in January was the, the sheer delight on their faces as they recounted how some people told them on their wedding day it would never last. What is it that has held them together? Promise. Promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live according to God's holy law. And in the presence of God I make this promise. It's beautiful, isn't it? But friends, it is nearly permanent promise. Nearly. Have Ron and Joyce Bond made it to 82 years? They have. You'll be delighted to know. I checked this week. I'll check again in January. Will they make it to 83 years? Or 84? No, at some point it will stop, won't it? This too will pass. But God's promise, God's promise, how beautifully different, how beautifully different. Last week, if you were here, you you remember we looked at the God of the promise in these same verses, the God of the promise to David here in 2 Samuel 7. Now this morning, we're going to look at the content of the promise. Next week, David's response to the promise. I want to show you three things about the content of the promise this morning. Brothers and sisters, with God there is such a thing as permanence. Oh, it is beautiful. What is it that you want to last forever? Young folks in the room, there are so many young folks looking around with us today. Your youth, your sporting prowess, your good looks, your strength, you think it's permanent, but it is passing. This World Cup, those of you who are watching it, have we seen the last of Ronaldo, that departure down the tunnel? Messi, is this his last World Cup? It is coming to an end, isn't it? Can I lift your eyes to Jesus this morning? Older folks, precious older folks in our midst, your heart aches and your body aches. Those pains feel so permanent, don't you? They feel stuck to you, part of you. But they are passing. Can I lift your eyes to Christ this morning? I want to give you three things about this promise to David. But first of all, just remember where we are. Look at verse 1. Not everybody was with us last week. Verse 1, David has arrived in a place of rest from his enemies, remember? And, And he's looking out looking at his master craftsman in his kingdom, and he's looking at this house that he lives in, this beautiful timber house, and he's been thinking, hang on, if, if I'm the king and, and I live in this, 
Doesn't God, the heavenly king, need a better house than a tent? And we saw, didn't we, that God says no to David. No, because you do not know who I am. I am the God of grace, David. I dwell where my people dwell, verses 6 and 7. If they've been moving around in tents, I move around in tents. And so, friends, we've got this beautiful Christmas truth, beautiful Christmas truth to get our heads around. God does not need us to do things for him. We don't give to him so that he responds to bless us. No, he blesses and blesses and blesses. I want you to take a seat, David, God says, and I'm I'm going to promise you several things. Instead of you doing something for me, here's what I'm going to to do for you. Now take this in, friends. Look at verse 9. Look at all the things God says he will do for David. Verse 9, I will make your name great. That's one thing, isn't it? I will make your name great. But there's another promise, the start of verse 10. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. A great name for you, David. I'm promising a place for Israel, a planted place, not a campsite, nomadic place. Those days will end. And thirdly, not just a planted place, but a peaceful place. Look at the start of verse 10. A place for my people Israel, I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. Not just a great name, David. Not just a planted place. Not just a war-free place. But look at verse 11. A restful place. I will give you rest from all your enemies. From all your enemies. You know, friends, this is part of the reason why God does not want David to build a house house for him. If you look at chapter 7, verse 1, David has rest from all his surrounding enemies. But verse 11, he does not yet have rest from all his enemies. Yeah, those in the immediate vicinity, David, they're taken care of. But there is not yet rest throughout all the land or throughout all the earth. I still have work to do, David. We're not done here yet. But do you see what's underlying all of these things, friends? All of those, there's actually four promises there. But do you see what's underlying them all? Look at verse 10. Two times we're told that you will do this no more. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. It's a way of saying forever, isn't it? I am promising permanent peace. Friends, God's promise in this chapter is a promise of permanence. Only God can do that. Next time you go to a wedding and you listen, what do the couple promise to each other? To love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. As long as we both shall live. It's an amazing thing on a wedding day, isn't it? That the young couple read out to each other. They say, look, you need to know the small print here with what we're doing. I am promising you this and you are promising that to me while we are alive. But when death arrives, the promise ends. 
death ruins the permanence, doesn't it? So that is why what happens here is so stunning, so staggering. This, friends, this is why you're going to have the best Christmas ever if you learn about 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you come to love 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there is something here about God's promise so monumentally different from any other promise that anybody speaks in all the world. Name, place, peace, rest. He gathers them all up in one big promise to David. One main promise. It's there right at the end of verse 11. This is the promise into which all the other promises are slotted, into which all the other promises fit. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, you, David, who wanted to build me a house, the Lord will make you a house. There it is, friends. That's what you're going to do after today. That's why you're going to tell everybody that Christmas 2022 was so special because God promised David that he would make him a house. Why is that so special? Okay, you ready for it? Here's, Here's the reason. Because David means house, cedar, wood, bricks, mortar, when he says to God, that's what I'm going to do. David means house, cedar, but God means house, dynasty, dynasty. It's a a play on words, a twist of words. If you just scan your eyes through verses 12 to 17, you don't need me to see this. Just scan your eyes through those verses. What are the words that you keep, keep bumping into all the way through? Offspring, kingdom throne. Isn't it true? Those are dynasty words, aren't they? They are not Dandara words or Stuart Milne words or whoever the builder is. No, offspring, throne, kingdom. Those are royal family words. David is thinking in terms of building God bricks and mortar. God is thinking of building for David generations, a lineage. Look, David, that the physical house can wait. We'll we'll get to the physical house. But what I want to promise you is so much more. Temples come and go, don't they? Kings' palaces can fall to the ground. They can be raised. They are not permanent. But how about, David, through you? How about through your family line, a throne and a kingdom that will never end? It's amazing, isn't it? David wants God to have a postcode. God wants David to have a people. David wants a fixed address for God. God wants instead a forever dynasty for David. And so I want to show you at the heart of this promise. Verse 11 is the promise. I will make you a house. I want to show you three incredible things at the heart of it. Number one. Don't worry about length, friends. This will not be longer than normal. You've had to wait a long time for the three points, haven't you? Number one, death does not destroy the promise. Death does not destroy the promise. Death does not destroy it. Number two, sin will not expel it. Number three, time cannot exhaust it. Death does not destroy it. Sin will not expel it. Time cannot 
exhausted. Death does not destroy it. Look how it works in verse 11. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now, put yourself in David's shoes. You've said to God, I'm going to build you a house. God says, take a seat. I'm going to build you a house. See, imagine David saying, okay, I get it. You, you want to build me a house. All right, look, well, fair enough. I, I've got the architect lined up. You could borrow the architect if you want. I've got contractors all lined up. You can take them over if you want. And the Lord says, verse 12, here's what you need to know, David. When your days are fulfilled, I'm going to make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Can you hear it? I'm going to build you a house, David, when you're dead. When you're dead. It's literally what verse 12 says, isn't it? Verse 12 says, isn't it? When you lie down, I will raise up. Isn't that amazing? The death of the king does not mean the death of the promise. Stunning. The death of the king does not mean the death of the promise. It's a very simple point for David to, to take, take in and to let it shape his office as king. And it, it begins to shape his office so profoundly in, in the Psalms that David will go on from here to write. And it needs to shape our thinking just as profoundly. There is nothing like this in all the world, friends, that says to us that in the world God is establishing someone else's kingdom that is not destroyed by death. It's an amazing thing, wasn't it, at the funeral service of Queen Elizabeth II to see her coffin slowly going down through the floor. As the words are spoken, all men are like grass. The glory of mankind comes and goes. The wind blows over and it is gone. God is setting in place here for human kings to know that when they die, the world does not collapse. God's promise stands. Here I am today, 11th of December. Here's my little world with all my hopes and dreams and my plans and we seem all the time to be grappling with death, don't we? Death is breaking our hearts and knocking us sideways. Even when death hasn't fully arrived, the people that we love are slowly being taken from us sometimes in front of our eyes. Everything seems to be rendered so futile by death. The people we love leave us. We are left alone. And 2 Samuel 7 says, yes, but have you learned yet to, to take your fragile life and to set it within the context of God's promise? God taught David that when the breath left his body for the last time, his promise to establish David's kingdom was no less real, no less true. Death does not destroy this promise. You die, David. I'll take it from here. You die, Steve, Jim, Jane, Samantha. 
death on every hand all around us. What do we say? Oh, God says there is such a thing as permanence. Oh, it's not me that's permanent. It's not my loved ones that's permanent. But there is a throne and a kingdom that is permanent. Number one, death does not destroy this promise. Number two, here's the second point. Sin cannot expel the promise. Sin cannot ruin the promise. Sin cannot destroy it. Read verses 12 to 15 with me again. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But... Look at this, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away from before you. It's clear, isn't it? In the immediate context, this is talking about Solomon, David's son who would follow him. He is the son who will build a house for God. He's the one who's going to do that. And he is the one who when he goes off the rails, God disciplines him with a rod of iron. Disciplines him with stripes as the nation is torn in two and the the kingdom is torn from his grasp. The people are sent into exile. Oh, all of this comes true, friends. There is punishment and discipline. And yet, you see verse 15, David's line will never meet Saul's end. Saul's kingdom is gone. It is finished, dead and buried and gone forever. David's house, rebellious, wayward, ignorant, sinful, but loved. Loved. Dale Ralph Davis says, God is going to deal with sinful kings in David's line, yes, but he will never allow sin to have dominion over his dominion. He is never going to let sin destroy this family line. This is an amazing thing, isn't it? All the way through the Bible, Israel, Israel is called God's son, his firstborn son. And, and here, God and the king, it's like a father-son relationship. We're, we're meant to look at that closest of bonds between a father and a son, that, that blood bond, and know that the sin of the king cannot expel that love, cannot push that love away forever. No matter what the sin is, so great is that love. Amazing. It's very easy to say, isn't it, that all parents love their children. It's true, isn't it? No no matter what children do, parents love them. Through rebellion, through wayward backsliding, Parents love their children all the way down into the flagrant abuse of the relationship, don't they? Into alcoholism, drug abuse. What about to the point of murder? Where the child commits a heinous crime that revolts a nation. Will the parent still love the child? Or will steadfast love depart from them? 
I think we all know examples, don't we, where the sin is so great, so awful that you have heard the parents say, the child is dead to me now. I no longer love them. It's irretrievably broken. And yet, friends, when that happens, isn't it not true that that is one sinful person saying that about another sinful person? Somebody themselves who has got so many things wrong saying that about someone else who has got greater things wrong. And love is expelled from the family. Brothers and sisters, can we fathom what verse 15 is saying? That the holy God not like us, sinless perfection, light of light, the one in whom there are no shadows, no turning, no lack in any part of his character or his will or his perfections that is in any way missing. No, he is absolutely pure. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountain, Psalm 36. And the Lord says, when my son commits iniquity, my steadfast love will not leave him. I will not turn my back on him. I want to ask us this morning, do do you love like this? I, I know I don't love like this. You wrong me? Well, I'd like to turn my back on you. You you sin against me, I'll keep the score. Oh yes, we say to one another, I know know I made a promise. I, I I know I promised integrity in the business deal, but these things happen. I know I promised faithfulness in the marriage, but I fell in love with someone else. And when we are on the receiving end of other people's promise breaking, what do we say when people do that to us? We say to them, how dare you? How could you? We're done here. We're through, you and me. One, two, three strikes and you're out. Brothers and sisters, do we have any any conception of the kind of steadfast love that our sin cannot actually break No matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, just won't leave us. I love you, God says. Oh, the wonder of God's love. And this is the wonder of Christmas, isn't it? For for all of this here, verses 12 down to 17, it finds its fulfillment, doesn't it, in the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of his, in his return to his Father's right hand in glory. Whose kingdom is God promising to establish here? Yes, it's Solomon's kingdom, David's offspring, but where is Solomon now? He's gone, isn't he? He's dead and buried. But when the Lord Jesus Christ arrives on the stage of world history, how does Matthew describe him? Do you remember the very opening verse of Matthew's gospel? Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What does Gabriel say to Mary? The child you conceive in your womb, he will be great and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever. Can can I give you the third beautiful thing here as we finish about this promise? Number three, time cannot exhaust it. Time cannot exhaust it. Death cannot destroy it. Sin cannot expel it. Time cannot exhaust it. I was thinking about this. What, what's the best that you can get in life when you, when you get something? I guess, I guess it's a lifetime guarantee, isn't it, if you buy something? Do, do you get anything these days with a lifetime guarantee? Is there anything that you get that with? Normally the small print says, this will probably have stopped working by the time you get home. And if it does, it'll be your fault. You're on your own. There is no such thing as permanence, is there? Except with God there is. Oh, with God there is. With the gospel there is. With the Lord Jesus there is. Verse 10, we saw it twice. We're told no more. Verse 13, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 15, my steadfast love will not depart from him. Verse 16, your house shall be made sure forever. Your throne will be established forever. Do you hear the drumbeat of the chapter, friends? It just comes again and again and again and again. There is such a thing as permanence. There is such a thing as permanence. Oh, I want to invite us this morning, all of us together, you individually, to to gather up all your sorrow for all that you have lost all that you cannot retrieve that is now in the past and to bring all of that as part of your laying, your passing temporal, time-bound story at the feet of your eternal King. Your King who is seated on an eternal throne. You do not need to be permanent. Trinity does not need to be permanent. Nothing does. For his kingdom will remain forever. His kingdom. We we, we used to sing a song in our car with our children. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But Jesus wisely, wonderfully rules them all. Do, Do you know the things that are really permanent and the things that aren't? You know, many of you know I was in America recently and in Texas, I got to tell a group of very wealthy, very powerful young men, I got to to tell them that America is not exceptional. And I said to these men, you need to reckon with the possibility that maybe one day when all is said and done, you will discover that America is just a tiny footnote in world history. Maybe that's all it will ever be. Are you okay with that, friends? I said, the USA is not permanent. And and the friend that I I was with who'd invited me to speak, he said, look, you you can say that anywhere else you want in in the United States, but not Texas. Don't tell Texans of all people that they are not exceptional. And so I smiled and just kept saying it even louder. 
The United States is not exceptional without God. Brothers and sisters, Scotland is not exceptional without God. England is not special without God. My story, your story, the the story of everybody in this world and every nation, we come, we go, and in it all God has made Christ's kingdom sure forever. He, He has made it sure. He has raised him from the grave after he bore the stripes of his people in his death, and now he lives forever in the power of an indestructible life. And his rule is permanent. His rule is permanent. Some, some of you know, and some of you have been doing this with me, some of you know I've been watching this uh, program on Disney Plus called Welcome to Wrexham. It's the story of two Hollywood A-lister stars who have taken over a football team, non-league football team. And the Hollywood stars have become transfixed with the idea of pouring their money into this club to take it up from the lower leagues to see how high they can get it up the table. It is the most magical, whether you're into football or not, it is the most magical story. We had somebody here weeks ago from Wrexham visiting in church, and to her astonishment, I was saying, you're from Wrexham, that's amazing. And she, she said, it is like these Hollywood stars have sprinkled stardust all over the city. They've made everything amazing. And in the first couple of episodes, you know what you just keep hearing from people in Wrexham? You know what they just keep saying over and over again? What will we do when this ends? What will we do when they leave us? For for surely they will. Surely they'll go eventually. Nobody stays. Nobody lasts. Nobody stays committed forever. Brothers and sisters, 2 Samuel 7 says, God does. God does. He stays forever. My brother tells me that there is no Hebrew word for promise. It's handy having a real Hebrew scholar in the family. Johnny says, there is actually in the whole of the Old Testament no Hebrew word for promise just doesn't exist it is just word word verse 4 go and tell my servant David thus says the Lord that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan verse 17 in accordance with all these words in other words to make a promise God just speaks all he does he just gives you his word our word is so fragile so untrustworthy we speak words and then we have to intensify it by saying but i promise you this god doesn't need to do that he just speaks what he says he will do he will do end of story god's word is god's bond Today we have God's word that the throne of our Savior, his King, our King, will never pass away. Amen.